Amen. Thank you, Kathy and the worship team. We appreciate you leading us in all those great songs focused on the resurrection of Jesus. We're glad that you're here today as we uh, enter into our message time. We have been traveling through the Gospel of Mark for many, many weeks now. And today we come to chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you want to be in Mark 16 as we entitle this message, Oh, the Wonder. Oh, the Wonder. You know, in everyday speech, we tend to use words like wonderful or awesome quite a bit. That cake was wonderful. Or I got out of work early today and I had an awesome afternoon. And where's Larry? I put a golf shot in here for you, Larry. (laughs) Awesome afternoon. Or we might say, what a wonderful church service. Or how about this one? Double chocolate fudge ice cream is awesome. (laughs) I put that one in there for me, all right? (laughs) But when we say that, when we say something's wonderful or awesome, what we're really saying, what, is that it's nice or that it was convenient, or that it was pleasing to our senses, or that we enjoyed something. But I want you to think about that word for a moment, wonderful, wonderful. And it comes from the word wonder. What does wonder mean? It means to be filled with wonder. When was the last time that you were filled with wonder or with awe? When was the last time that you were overwhelmed by power, or mystery, or even terror. I remember when I was uh, a teenager, I think I was 15 or 16, I grew up in Hawaii, and in that particular year, there was a terrible hurricane, the worst one that had hit the islands since the 1940s, and it was headed our way. And the good thing was we got released from school early that day, <laughs> everybody to head to their homes, but the sky just got darker and darker, and you could feel a sense of foreboding. And as the, as the sky drew darker and as the storm drew nearer, it almost became like night in, in the middle of the afternoon. And the, uh, the rain just began just to fall in buckets. The tsunami warning uh, sirens all around the island began to, to go off in this loud noise that you'll never forget. And the wind intensity increased, and the rains, as I mentioned, just began to just pour. The streets were running with water. Every street looked like a river. And around that time, as we're huddled in our house, the electricity went out. And I remember this terrible noise. I thought, wow, this might be the end of the world. Boom, boom. What it was was the, uh, the transformers exploding, overloaded as poles fall, fell all across the island. And finally, finally, things began to calm, began to quiet. And when it finally appeared to be safe, we were able to venture out to begin to survey the damage. And trees, of course, were ripped up and thrown hundreds of yards. All of the power lines were just down. Boom, 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 boom. All of the poles were down. Pieces of people's roofs and garbage cans and branches, whatever was lightweight was just lying everywhere. And though the the physical damage was relatively light for a a hurricane of that magnitude, I will always remember the sense of wonder and terror that we felt through that experience. Well, truth be told, when we are 
really filled with wonder or awe, there's almost always an element of terror that goes along with it. We are experiencing something completely unexpected, totally out of our control. And that is what the women who visited Jesus' tomb on that Sunday morning after his death, I think that must have been what they experienced. A tragic Friday, the death of Jesus, had given way to a sad Sabbath day. The one in whom they believed, the one to whom they had clung, their hero, their leader, their friend, was no longer with them. Their experience was not theoretical, it wasn't theological, but it was real. It was real because these women loved Jesus personally. They enjoyed being with this one, this man who was so gracious, who forgave so freely, who spoke so truthfully. And now they had come to anoint his body as a final act of devotion. Now, the fact that they intended to do so suggests that perhaps, perhaps they had given up hope that his claim would come true. They went that morning expecting to find a dead man, one that they would weep over, one that they would mourn for. But their senses were affronted with something unfathomable when they arrived. I want you to listen to these words from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see, Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But you, go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And the women went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were very afraid. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about wonder. Wonder. And I want to start by talking about the wonder of new life. The wonder of new life. That heavy stone that they had fretted about as they were on their way was rolled away. And it wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could escape the tomb. We know from from John's gospel account that not even locked doors could hold Jesus back. That stone was rolled away as an invitation. An invitation for them and for us to enter in and to witness the wondrous work which had happened. 
Instead of Jesus' body, a young man is there whom they'd never seen before, but whose very presence unnerved them to the core. And he proclaims comfort and an impossible reality. The same Jesus who they had seen tortured and crucified is risen from the dead. From tragic death to new life. He whose movement they were sure only moments ago was an abysmal failure and a sure defeat had been transformed into the greatest victory ever proclaimed in the history of the world. A victory that not even the mighty Roman Empire or any modern superpower could ever boast of. Their hope seemed lost, but a new dawn. The dawn of a new day was coming and renewal and hope was in the wings of this new sunrise. And it's at this moment that these women are completely filled with wonder and fear. That is the wonder of new life. The new life that only Jesus can provide. You know, it it occurs to me that these women women were expecting to see nothing more than Jesus' dead body. And yet, in their time of depression and discouragement and defeat and sadness and confusion... You know what's interesting to me? These women still got up early that Sunday morning. How about us? How much more then should we be willing to get up early to seek the living Lord? You see, this wasn't an obligation. It was an opportunity. And it's an opportunity for any of us on any given day. If you feel as though you're in the dark now, be like these three women. Rise early and make it a priority in your life to seek the risen Lord. You see, for these who sought him early, they would be the very first ones to understand the wonder of new life. The wonder of new life. Well, I want to next examine with you you the wonder, the wonder of pure mercy. Pure mercy, because the story doesn't end at the empty tomb. The angel gives them a command, a challenge. He says to them, go and tell the disciples, and especially Peter, that the Lord has risen. And you know, verse 7 reveals that though these women are the recipients of this young man's message, the ultimate target of the message is explicitly the disciples and Peter. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I think it's so awesome that Peter is expressly named. Expressly named because it was only hours ago that he had repeatedly denied Jesus after swearing that he would never do so. One ancient Greek commentator notes that Peter likely felt that in his shame that he was no longer a disciple, having betrayed the one that he had sworn to love. But Jesus, Jesus, even in his greatest moment of triumph, continues to show us that 
his victory is not built on winning, on defeating others, but on mercy, pure mercy. See, that's what Jesus is all about. Unlike so many empires before and since, Jesus doesn't grind down the broken, but he lifts up. He restores all who return to him. You see, that is the wonder of pure mercy. Jesus intends to bring his disciples back together in a relationship that will be stronger than ever before. And he begins by letting them know that he looks forward to seeing them, even though they have forsaken him. Not just Peter, they all had forsaken him. And so to illustrate that great forgiveness, he mentions Peter by name. Broken Peter was specially included in the word of hope for the disciples. Peter had just denied and walked away from the Lord. He would certainly feel excluded from any good news, from any hope of being used. And friends, I wonder if you have ever felt the same way. If you've ever felt excluded from God, then this passage is for you. If you've ever denied the Lord or ignored the Lord or disappointed the Lord or fell short in any way, then this passage is for you and for me so that we might remember the pure mercy of Jesus Christ. He extends that invitation. All we have to do is show up. That is the wonder of pure mercy. The wonder of pure mercy. And then finally, I want us to just explore for a moment and be reminded about the wonder of the good news. The wonder of the good news. Verse 8 reveals that in spite of the angel's reassurance and command, the women's astonishment is so great that they fled. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were very afraid. And with the end of verse 8, the earliest manuscripts of Mark, Mark's gospel, it just abruptly ends right there. That's the end. There's all kinds of debate among scholars as to why, but I, I think that the women's flight from the tomb is meant to draw us into that moment, to see, to feel what those women were experiencing. And just like those women, we are confronted with the reality of the empty tomb. We are faced with the same choice. Will we, in our fear of a seemingly uncertain future, Will we run away from the mystery and the promise of the resurrection? Or, or will we, in faith, in faith, the faith that we place in the God that will raise us up, just as he raised up Jesus, will we be faithful to his call? Will we focus on our own personal failures or the disappointments we have in others? or the broken and dying world we live in, will that remain our focus? Or will our focus be on the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ? 
all the other evidence that Mark has recounted that we've looked so far through so far in this gospel of Mark, all of it laid down by Mark carefully to substantiate the claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. All of it falls short of being the good news without, without the conclusive fact of the resurrection. We know from the context of the other Gospels that these women became the first proclaimers of the Gospel. The first ones to proclaim the good news as they went out to tell the disciples of the risen Lord. And so the question is, will we follow their lead? Will we embrace the wonder and the awe of the moment? Will we proclaim the risen Lord to the ends of the earth? That's what he calls us to do. You know, in the, in the Middle Ages, the sea route to India seemed an impossibility. It was often discussed in the, in the great economic and political centers of Europe. They used to wonder whether there would be a route around the bottom tip of Africa to get to that rich land of spices. Many had tried, and they had all failed. The tip of Africa had become known as the Cape of Storms. Then the explorer Vasco da Gama decided that he was going to try again. And guess what? He succeeded. And ever since he returned to Lisbon, it could never be doubted again that it could be done, that a ship could make it around the tip of Africa, the Cape of Storms. He proved that to use the treacherous way was not inevitably disastrous. And so the Cape of Storms eventually became known as the Cape of Good Hope. The Cape of Good Hope. And friends, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus has done that for death. The treacherous route of death has been transformed. Jesus suffered and he went through death and he rose victorious. And that means that his people who follow him, for them, the storms of death need not hold us in the grip of fear. Instead, we can have good hope. Great hope because Jesus has conquered death. The physical facts of the resurrection are in. Jesus, who was crucified on Friday, is gone from the tomb that Sunday morning. Those three women who expected to find a decomposing body in a tomb sealed by a stone that was too heavy for them to move, they became eyewitnesses to an empty tomb, an empty bench, an empty shroud. Yet the facts, the facts are not enough. You see, faith in the resurrection must take over where physical facts leave off. The wonder of new life provided by Christ, the wonder of pure mercy that is extended to us, the wonder of the good news that is shared, these all at some point require a certain leap of faith. 
by which a person must believe in the resurrection. You see, God gives us His Word as the way of knowing His truth. God's Word is the basis for our belief. So as proof of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus sends His messenger to speak those words. He is risen. And then it is up to us to respond in faith. See, he is risen is all that God needs to say. Centuries of natural and historical and prophetic revelation peak in just those three words. He is risen. Angels bow, demons flee, humans tremble before that mighty truth. And that, friends, is the good news. Jesus Christ is alive and our hope is not in vain. And so the headline for the day, our day or any day, is that life-changing news. He is risen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this tremendous message of truth. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you know, Lord, our own weaknesses. Father, you know our our doubts, and our wavering faith. And so, Father, we thank you that you have given us clear evidence and foundational truths, Father, so that our faith might be built up. And yet, Father, we are also so grateful that you extend to us an invitation that is based not just on facts, but on faith. And, Father, you invite us to take that beautiful step of faith into the unknown because, Father, we trust in you. And, Father, we thank you that Jesus has shown us the way through death into eternal life. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made so that we might have this great privilege to follow that path and to take those steps of faith. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we prepare to close up our service this morning in just a moment with a a closing song, I want you to know that our elders are great men of faith and they are here this morning to pray with and for you. We have a prayer corner back there. I see that Ed and Shirley are back there ready to greet you. And I want you to know that there are folks here that want to pray for you today. Maybe you have a struggle in your life. Maybe you have a crisis. Maybe you have a spiritual decision to make. Maybe it's about that step and that leap of faith, of confessing. That word confess means to speak forth. Speak forth your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe you want to have somebody pray about that. Maybe your your step of faith is about repenting. That's a fancy word that means stop going the wrong way. And make a U-turn and start going the right way. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you about that. Maybe your step of faith is being born again, being baptized. That wonderful picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, which Scripture tells us that when we're baptized, we participate in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's a great mystery and a beautiful picture and a beautiful gift that Jesus has given 
to us. And so maybe you'd like for somebody to pray with you about that. So I want you to know that folks are here to pray with you and pray for you. As you think about the greatest news of all, that great headline, He is risen. Let's stand together as we sing this closing song. Thank you.